You guys, let's pray and we'll open up our service. Lord, I just thank you for everybody here. God, I pray that this message is something that strikes the heart for someone here, Lord, that really needs to um, have hope for a breakthrough in their life, Lord, and needs to know that what you've done before, you're always doing. This is what you love to do is partner with us for breakthrough in our lives to take, take us to the next place, God, to redeem us from where we are broken, reestablish us on solid ground, and launch us into our destiny, God. And I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you guys, well, I'll start out by saying, Chris and I went to the Rockies game last week, and you got to walk through Union Station, you know, to be cool, so you're not so hot. <laughs> you get off the light rail, and you walk through Union Station, and you go to the Rockies. And while we were there, we saw a little girl, and she was dressed up in a princess outfit with a unicorn Whatever. I think that's the new thing is like princess unicorn or something. And she was like, you know, out in public with her little princess gown on, you know, like a eight-year-old girl maybe or six-year-old girl or something like that. And I just, it really was cute. And it reminded me of when my daughter was little. This is why I was going to talk about Cinda. Because um, Cinda always wears, or she almost always wears, not tonight apparently, Disney um, stuff. And she really likes the Disney brand and all the princesses. And that's why we're going to go see Mulan and everything like that. And my daughter and I have seen every single princess movie that Disney has put out, and we love the princess movies. And in fact, when she was little and we went to Disney World, we went to Bippity Boppity Boutique. Isn't that a night? Isn't that fun? And you take your daughter in there, and for like a million dollars, they'll like style her hair into a princess thing, and she gets to pick out a little outfit, and then she walks around all day long with her little Cinderella. You know, it's got a tiara on, then you got your Disney bow in the back, and you got your hair up in a bun, and the little blue thing, and you spend your whole day walking around as a princess. I know that might not sound fun to you guys, but that sounds fun to me. We're going to talk, well, we're going to talk a little bit about romance today. That's romantic to me. That's, I think that that kind of thing in a little girl is absolutely a divine, a divine thing of hers, and that sometimes we lose or push down or ignore as we grow up. But I think that is a very pure and a very um, innocent, divine expression of what that little girl wants out of life. Is that, would you agree with that? And so I'm going to talk about the book of Ruth, which I think the book of Ruth, even almost, I mean, Song of Songs is good, but the book of Ruth is a true love story from beginning to end. And it encompasses two, times, two types of romance for me. Romance, I looked up, you know, on the internet, is defined as, one, conducive to or characterized by the expression of love, often romantic love, or two, characterized by or suggestive of, of an idealized view or reality. And I think the book of Ruth um, actually portrays both those things. I think it portrays romantic love. It's a story of romantic love, but it's also, I think, a parable of the ideal reality that God has for us. You know, when I first went through Celebrate Recovery, which is fantastic, and Bob Holloway is fantastic for leading it, the one thing that I had to really grapple with was my romantic view of life in the way that it prevented me from accepting this broken world. Does that, do you get what I'm saying? Like this world is broken, 
and we don't always have our dream come true or our whatever. And you can really grieve that sometimes. You can grieve that this world is not idealized and doesn't, it's not pure, it's broken, and you have to accept the reality of this world. And that was hard for me to look at, see, and let go of, but it was very healing because you can't deny what, what's really happening around you. The thing that I like about Ruth, the book of Ruth, is it's a book that's real, that talks about brokenness, but yet at the end, we see this idealized reality come forth because God's involved with it. Because no matter what, even in our brokenness, God's like, oh, I can fix that. Oh, I can take care of that. Oh, I know you think it's hopeless, but I got that in hand, you know? And so I think it's a very hopeful book. You know, um, there's a book out called, I think it's called Patterns. Is that right, Bob? You sent it to me? I haven't read it, but I like the title of it because what it talks about is there's patterns in the Bible. There's different themes and patterns that go over and over to maybe teach us different things. And you'll even find out that the way God deals with you sometimes is patterns in your life. And so I want to look at the book of Ruth as a pattern for us, for our own breakthrough, all right? I see this pattern in a, in a lot of different stories in the Bible, but this is one of my favorite, again, because it's a love story. I see this in Moses. I see this in Joseph. I see it in Esther and Hannah. All these different patterns of breakthrough, but this is one of my favorites because it's about love. It's about romance, and I love love and romance, don't I, babe? So, let me tell you about the book of Ruth. The other, the other reason I really like the book of Ruth, too, is because I think that the um, metaphor of husband and wife is a primary, if not the most primary metaphor that God uses to relate himself to us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he says, no longer will they call you deserted, or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. That's how God talks to Israel. I'm going to marry you. You're going to be my wife. I'm going to be your husband. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. In the New Testament, we see the same thing about Jesus. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So that's, that is a primary metaphor, again, why I think Ruth is a parable for us, not only in how to achieve breakthrough, breakthrough but how to relate to the Lord. And I know, men, you're just going to have to get over it. You're the bride of Christ. You're, you're the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. Take that metaphor and use it as much as you can, Okay. The book is written in four parts, and I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson here about um, the Israelites and their neighboring enemy, Moab, okay? So Ruth is based in the time period of the judges before there were any kings, and if you remember in the time of the judges, there was a lot going on, a lot of Israel sinned over and over and over, and there was judgment, and then there'd be a good judge, and there'd be judgment again, and then there'd be some peace. And, and the book of Ruth is during this period of the judges, during judges. And what happens is there's a famine in the land, okay? 
And so a husband and a wife and two sons, they go into their neighboring country, Moab, which is actually an enemy country. It'd be like one of us saying, I think I'll move to North Korea. You know, I can't, I can't get a job here, so I think I'll go to North Korea and get a job. Right? It's kind of like that. So they move to Moab, and both sons take Moabite wives. And after a period of time, all the men die. <laughs> I don't know why all the men die, but all the men die. The husband and the two sons die, and it leaves the women all widows. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, widows were not in a very powerful position. In those days, you were protected by your association with a man, either your husband, your father, or your son. Okay? You needed to live in the household that had a patriarch, or you were going to be open to all kinds of horrible things, prostitution, you might have to beg for a living. Um, you just, you, it was not good. Okay? And so Naomi, there's three people in the book of Ruth. It's about three people. Naomi, Naomi, she's the, the wife of the husband that went to Moab. She's the mother of the two sons that died. Ruth is her daughter-in-law who married one of her sons. And then Boaz is Ruth's eventual second husband. Okay, so there's three main characters. A lot of people think this book is really about Naomi, that she's the female Job of the Bible because she starts out with a lot of suffering. Um, she comes back from... she. she the sons die. She says to herself, oh my gosh, what am I going to do here? It looks like Israel has got rain again. The Lord is taking care of Israel. Let's go back to Israel, and I'll see if I can't, you know, scratch out a living in Israel. And she says to both of her daughters, daughter-in-laws, she says, hey, go back to your family. You're not going to be welcome in Israel. Go back, take care of yourself, and I don't have any more sons that you can marry. Like, I got nothing. I, my husband has died. My sons have died. I am just a lonely woman. I can't take care of you. Go back to your family. And this is where we get the famous quote from Ruth. And this is what she says. Ruth is, is her daughter-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. That's one of the most famous, um, even it's actually one of the most famous wedding verses. Even though that's not about marital love, it's about loyalty, and it's about faithfulness. And we'll see that this theme of Ruth we see throughout the whole book of her faithfulness and her loyalty and how she's like, I I'm going to be with you no matter what happens. And it's actually what gets her, in some respects, from A to Z, is this character of Ruth. So the first point I want to talk about is that breakthrough follows a time of brokenness or wilderness. How many here have been in brokenness or wilderness? Anybody? Anybody? You can testify that's not a very fun place to be, right? This is the way that Naomi felt. She said, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So, you know, here we see that she's not only broken, she's really bitter. She's got a, she's got a grudge against the Lord, 
okay? Now, I know some people, maybe you do too, where life has not treated them very well, and they're mad at God about it. They're like, God, you could fix this, and you're not fixing it, so what do you have against me? It's a legitimate question. I know a lot of people that ask that question. The thing about Naomi is, back in those days, and I'm not going to say if this is legitimate or not legitimate. I'll let you guys figure it out for yourself. The thought was that if God was not pleased with the, your land, your country, he would hold the rain back. And famine was a judgment on the nation. Or if you couldn't have children, that was a judgment from the Lord. And so we see over and over that God does say, listen, you're following false idols. You're doing X, Y, or Z. I'm going to have to bring punishment. I'm going to have to bring judgment because you need to come. We're married and you're chasing after other gods. You're committing adultery against me. I'm going to have to, there's going to be repercussions for that. So we see that over and over, there is judgment in the Old Testament for people's behavior. So she might have a legitimate beef with the Lord saying, man, you're judging me. I left Israel, went to Moab, this enemy, enemy neighbor. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, and now I'm, I'm being judged by the Lord. I don't have any sons. I don't have a husband. She's bitter. The thing that I want to say about that is, you guys, we all experience brokenness in our lives for one of two reasons, usually. Something that we created in our own lives brings us brokenness, or we're a victim of other people's brokenness. It's not always that we have brought the brokenness on ourselves. Sometimes other people's brokenness affects us and brings us brokenness and brings us a wilderness. And I would caution you as a as a Christian, to not look at somebody else's brokenness and say, oh, they deserve that. They're an addict. Of course they deserve to lose their marriage because they didn't take care of their marriage very well. Or, you know, he lost his job because he's lazy or whatever. I would caution you that that's not our job to do. It's not our job to look at other people's brokenness and pronounce any kind of judgment on it because we don't know. All right? Is that, is that right? But I want you to know something. God will deal with that brokenness whether it's your fault or not. Because he's in the business of redeeming broken people. And I can't say that enough. It's important that when we go out to the world around us that we carry that message with us. I'm sorry that you've experienced brokenness, but my God loves you in your brokenness and he can deal with that. And I don't, I'm not going to pass judgment about why you're broken. I just know the person who can put you back together. I think that's an important message that we carry to the world. Would you agree? So the second thing, I want to talk about favor. Favor comes with breakthrough. So here's chapter 2. So they go back to oh, look, They go back to Israel and Ruth goes with Naomi and she says to her mother-in-law she says, "You know what? I'm going to go get some food for us." So there was a custom in that time where someone had a field and they were harvesting the barley. The rule was that you had to leave the edges for the poor. You could not harvest up to the edge of your land and that poor could 
follow behind you and gather up any kind of kernels that you would accidentally let go so that there, the, the poor could be provided for. That was the actual rule in the land. And so it was beginning to be harvest time. And so Ruth said, I tell you what, I'm going to go to this field and I am going to, it's called glean. I'm going to glean so that we have something to eat. So she goes to the field and I love this part. This is a great um, euphemism in the Bible. It's called, and as luck would have it, or and as it would happen, she went to the field of Boaz. Now Boaz is going to be her her husband at the end of the, I'll just ruin that for you, she's going to be, be the husband at the end of the book, but um, she doesn't know him and he doesn't know her. Well, he comes to the field, he's like, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you, and they do this ritual greeting and whatever, and, and he's like, who's that girl over there? I see somebody over there. And the people go, oh, that's Ruth. She's from Moab, and she's come back, and she's taking care of her mother-in-law. She's a woman of good character. So she begins to glean behind Boaz. Boaz takes notice, and he says, hey, sit next to me, and let's have a little lunch together. So she comes over and has lunch with him and dips her bread in his vinegar bowl, and he says to his men, he says, listen, let a, let a few extra kernels go for her, and don't harass her at all. Take care of her. And he says to Ruth, Oh, by the way, don't go to anybody else's field. Just go to my field. My field will provide for you. You don't need to go anywhere else. This is where you need to go. And he began to take care of her in a small way, and she began to earn favor in his eyes. The Bible says, she said, let me see who I can go find favor with. And then it, it also says, and Boaz, she found favor in Boaz's eyes. This is what I want to tell you guys. Favor is a hallmark of breakthrough. Favor is something you could look at and say, what's going on? But there's also something, and I talk about this a lot. And this, I'm going to say as a pattern, this isn't always, I don't think always the truth, but generally a truth, okay? God wants to partner with us for our breakthrough. Now, there are times when he's going to do breakthrough, and you're like, what? I never saw that coming. And I, I didn't have anything to do it. But there's also times when God says, I want to do breakthrough but I need you to do your part. I need you to partner with me. I need you to um, walk hand in hand with me. The thing I see here with Ruth, she was humble. She said, I'm going to go. I don't have any money. I, I promise I'm going to be with my mother-in-law till we die. I'm going to do whatever it takes to provide for my mother-in-law. I will go glean in the fields. It would be like if someone said, I'm going to go stand out at the stoplight and say, hey, do you got any money? Hey, do you got any money? Hey, do you got any money? It would be like that. It, you're, you're a beggar. You're, you're doing whatever it takes to provide. She was not too proud to do that. She said, I'll do whatever it takes. She worked hard. She worked long days. I believe that God is attracted to humility. I really do believe that. I think that sometimes when people go through a time of brokenness and they don't understand where the brokenness is coming from, that it would serve them well to say, Lord, is there an area in my life that I need to evaluate where perhaps I'm not approaching this in a humble way? where there may be a sense of entitlement 
or there may, may be some kind of sense of I deserve X, Y, or Z, and why am I not getting it? I'm not, I don't think God is attracted to that. I, think, I do think God is attracted to the broken person who says, Lord, here I am. I surrender it all. I don't know what plan you have, but I'm here, and I'll do what you're asking me to do. And you're not too proud to do what God asks you to do. I believe if we want to experience favor from the Lord, we have to cultivate humility. So here she is. She meets Boaz. They're getting along. He's like, sit next to me. I'll take care of you, blah, blah, blah. She goes back to um, Naomi, and, she, and this is what Naomi says to her. The Lord bless him, referring to Boaz. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, the man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeemers. You'll hear that a lot. Now, this is the, where it first comes into the book of Ruth. Now we see Naomi starting to perk up a little bit. She's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There might be some hope in this situation after all. I came back bitter from Boaz, but now you're in the field of our kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer in those times, again, remember, it's a very patriarchal society. If a patriarch was to die, the kinsman redeemer had three, three responsibilities. To redeem the land. If the land went, was mortgaged to somebody else, because here's the thing, you guys. God, remember when people came into the, the tribes, came into the promised land? He gave each tribe some land, all right? Each tribe got some land. His idea was, I own all the land. You're my tenant. You're taking care of this particular plot of land. It was not his plan that, well, this tribe would get 80% of the land and these would get only 20%. He wanted to be equally divided out so that no one would lord it over anybody else. But what would happen sometimes is if a man died or became indebted, they would sell their land to somebody else, right? And in 50 years, the year of Jubilee, the land would go back to the original tribe because God was like, I want, always want the tribe to have their land. A kinsman redeemer would redeem the land, would, would pay the mortgage off so it could go back to who it was supposed to go back to. That was one responsibility. The second responsibility was if one of his relatives was killed, he was to exact the uh, vengeance. He was, it was a blood atonement. So if you killed him, your kinsman redeemer, or his kinsman redeemer would kill you. He was the judge and jury in that whole situation. The third thing that the kinsman redeemer did, yeah, don't do that, okay, is if the widow, a widow died in his family without sons, because remember, women needed sons, and the land needed sons, his responsibility was to marry that widow, give her a child to perpetuate the heritage of the, ex, of the dead husband. You got that? So now we've got Ruth in the field of Boaz, and Naomi's going, He's our kinsman redeemer. He's the answer to all of our problems. So we see now the end of harvest. This is chapter 3, the end of the harvest. Naomi says to Ruth, she says, you know, I'm going to take care of you. You know, you've been really good to me. You've taken care of me, but now I'm going to take care of you. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. 
dress yourself up, put your perfume on. I want you to go to the threshing floor. The threshing floor is where they would um, take all the barley and they'd step on it and they'd throw it up and the chaff would go away and they'd catch the kernels, right? Someone always slept there at night to guard against uh, burglary or robbery. And Boaz was there that night. And Naomi said, wait till he's had enough to drink and enough to eat and he's laid down to sleep and I want you to go into the threshing floor, lay at his feet. Which is a little bit suggestive thing, you guys, back then. That was a little bit, shall we say, risque. Bob and I had a conversation on the euphemism of all that, which we won't go into. But you can interpret it in a lot of different ways. I will say this. This was a time when a lot of prostitutes were around the threshing floor, and there'd be a lot of secret rendezvous going on. So she was doing a little bit of a dangerous thing by going to Boaz and laying at his feet. He woke up at midnight, you know, because alcohol makes you wake up at midnight, right? You can't sleep all the way through. And he wakes up at midnight, and he's like, oh, my gosh, who's this laying at my feet? And she wakes up, and she says, you're my kinsman redeemer. Spread your cloak over me, which is a euphemism for you should marry me. And Boaz says, oh, my gosh, you're going to pick me? You could, have, you could have any young man that you want. And God bless you, my daughter. For sure, I'll take care of this, he says. He was so happy to see her at the threshing floor and, saying, and for her to choose him as her husband. She was bold to do that. He said, there's someone closer than me as a kinsman redeemer, but I'll go to him tomorrow and we'll take care of this for sure. He said, now here, take these six, grain, this six portions of barley back to your mother-in-law, and we'll get this thing straightened out. It was about 60 or 70 pounds of grain that he gave her. It was a lot that he gave her, almost as a promise to her that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. It's a beautiful picture of her saying, of her being bold and going and saying, this is what I want. Now, this is what I get out of this, you guys. This is Jesus, you guys. Kinsman Redeemer is Jesus. This is a picture and a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. He is the one who redeems us from slavery, from bondage, and restores us, okay? But the cool thing I get about this, the, the thing that I think we do to partner with this, sometimes to get our breakthrough, we have to risk things. We have to risk um, maybe convention. Maybe we have to risk listening, listening to the Holy Spirit and following what the Holy Spirit says to do even though it may look weird to other people, right? One thing that we may have to do, we may have to identify and break away from general, generational patterns and sin that keep us from taking risks. You know, a lot of us, every one of us, has family. We all come from a family. And every family that we come from is broken in some way and has their own generational baggage that we are born into. And we are molded by that generational culture, by the culture of our family. And we grew up acting and reacting in ways that we are not even aware of because of our family culture. If we're going to participate in our own 
breakthrough, we have to be brave and say, Lord, where in my life am I in bondage to a generational stronghold that's preventing me from going forward into redemption and into breakthrough? That's what, why what Bob does is crucial because we can't, we don't know what stuff we carry around. But when you go through Celebrate Recovery or you do some of the stuff that he does, you begin to go, wait a minute, maybe my fear is generational and I need to ask the Lord how to deal with it. Maybe my anger, maybe my passivity, maybe all these different things that are holding me back and preventing me from participating in my redemption, I need to deal with. That's called being brave. You know, our culture doesn't want to, <laughs> I have a, a saying for a particular family I know. <laughs> Their motto is, we don't talk about unpleasant things. Let's go to dinner. That's their motto. So if something unpleasant comes up, they never confront it. They never look at it. They take a giant broom, sweep it under the rug, and say, let's go to dinner. Let me tell you something. That doesn't end up working, ever. It doesn't solve problems. It doesn't fix things. Nobody gets better with that. You have to be brave and say, I'm not going to do that. And I, what I see with Ruth is her saying, I believe that what my mother-in-law has told me to do is godly. I'm going to do it. And she does something that appears risque, but actually turns out for her good because she obeyed what she felt she was supposed to do. And I just want to tell you, Boaz, he was like, nothing risque went on between them. He said, stay here this night. And in the morning, I will go talk to the nearest relative, and we will get this straightened out. And because of her bravery, she advanced into her breakthrough. Okay? So the next day, he gets up, and he goes to the, the gate, and he finds the... Um, closer relative than him, and he says, oh, hey, by the way, uh, Naomi's come back, and her land is up for sale. You could buy it from her, and you could acquire her land. And so the, uh, the near kinsman says, yeah, I'll do that. And, Bo and Boaz just sneakily says, and, and by the way, you'll also acquire his widow, and you'll have to perpetuate, you know, the line. And, <laughs> and the near kinsman goes, yeah, I'm out. I'm not doing that. That's going to endanger my wife and my, hair, my legacy over here. I'm not going to do that. You can redeem it if you want to. So he takes off his sandal, which was their custom, hands it to Boaz, and that is actually Boaz purchasing the land and Ruth. Isn't that kind of cool? This is our verse for that. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epareth, I can't say it, Bob, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offering, offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Here's the thing. Boaz is the picture of Jesus redeeming us from slavery and ele elevating us to becoming a child of God. We, in our sin, are like Ruth, an outcast, a Moabite, cannot be tolerated in the land, cannot be seen before God. Our sin 
is our covering, but Boaz comes to us, Jesus comes to us and says, you know, I'm going to redeem you. I want you, you're going to be my wife. The cool thing about redemption is it doesn't end with redemption. If you know the rest of the story with Ruth, the very end of the story is this. They have a child together. Now remember, she's an outsider. I'm going to tell you the history of that in a minute. She's an outsider. They have a baby together who's the fa- whose name is Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David, the greatest king of all of Israel. And David is the forefather of Jesus. So Ruth's brokenness, her humility, her bravery has now given her a legacy. She now has a, a destiny and a legacy because of who she is, because of her character and her partnership with what God wanted to do. She's one of only four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. They never listed women in genealogies. They only listed the men, unless there's something important about them, and she's an outsider. She's from Moab. Here's the relationship of Moab. Do you remember Lot, the brother of Abraham? When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, there were no more men. So the daughters were like, hey, let's do it with dad and have some have some kids. And guess what? That's where Moab came from. Moab comes out of an incestuous relationship. Secondly, when Israel came and took back the promised land, Moab refused to give them food and water. Said, we're not going to give you any food and water. You got to go through on your own, which which was very displeasing to the Lord. Thirdly, they seduced the Israelite warriors. Suffice it to say, Moab was not a good country. But here we have Ruth, and this goes back to breaking out of your generational mold. Here we have Ruth, who's faithful. She provides food for her mother. She's everything that her country is not. She's faithful to the Lord. She does, she's brave. She does what is right. Her character stands. Her character propels her. She's everything, actually, that Israel wasn't. Remember, Israel was in constant disobedience. And here comes Ruth, an outsider. She is the picture of who God's looking for that he can partner with. I think that is so cool. And that goes back to us breaking out of our generational patterns. You know, all of us have family that we look at and say, I wish you could get it together. Like, I wish you weren't like this. Like, I wish you could get hold of what God has said about you. Or we have friends. We have friends. We're like, I don't know how to make this clear to you, but God is for you and he wants you. And, and we look at them and we're like, why don't they get it? It's because they're stuck in their generational stuff, right? I want to be the kind of person who's like Ruth who says, you know what? I may have been born in Moab. I may have been raised in Moab. I'm not going to be from Moab. This is going to be my God. These are going to be my people. I'm going to be righteous and a person of good character because I am not conforming to this pattern over here. I think every one of us can be a Ruth and we can stand up against our upbringing and be who God has called us to be. And what I think is once we partner with the kinsman redeemer in our life, who is Jesus, not only will he give us a legacy, he gives us a destiny, he'll give us a legacy in our family. I truly believe that when we take hold of the breakthrough that God has for us, the destiny that God has for us, we reverse, I love this term, reverse the curse. We reverse the curse. Ruth was reversing the curse that fell on Moab 
we get to reverse the curse of whatever's going on in our family. We get to stand up and say, we're not going to be like that, and we're going to show you a better way. We're going we're to go against our generational culture because we're going to be better, and we're going to partner with the Lord. The thing that I like about Ruth is she became a mother, a foremother of Jesus. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. How many of us would love to say, man, we're, I'm related to Jesus, like genetically. Isn't that super cool? She's one of them. I think that's a fantastic picture of what God wants to do with us. He wants to take our brokenness, turn it into favor, show us his redemption, and give us a legacy. Give us a destiny and a legacy. But we have to do our part. We have to partner. Like I said, this isn't always the picture of God, but I find it over and over. Esther, Daniel, Joseph, Moses, you see them partnering with God, doing their part, and he takes them from A to Z, not in a day, not in a month, not even in a year, but over a period of time, he takes them to a place of, this is your destiny. I have legacy and destiny for you over here. That's always what God is doing is I want to I show you who you really are, not who you think you are. I'll just end with this. Remember how um, Naomi, she, at the very beginning, she said, call me bitter. God has dealt horribly with me. And she was bitter and she was upset and she was angry. At the very end, we got the women of Bethlehem saying this. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. I love that. And they say that the women of Bethlehem took Ruth's daughter. You can just see it, right? Ruth is so, or baby. Ruth is so excited she now has a grandson. They took Ruth's son and placed it on her lap and said, now this is your son. And she got to have the grandchild that she never thought she would have. That is the kindness of the Lord, not just to Ruth, but to Naomi. Naomi thought God had given up on her and that she was never going to see his goodness. And at the end, she got to be involved in, right? Doesn't that want to just make you cry? The genealogy of Jesus. I think that's a wonderful wrap-up for the book of Ruth. It's one of my favorite books. I want to pray for you guys tonight. Can you put some music on for me? Um, I want to pray for anybody who specifically wants breakthrough in their life, who feels like they're stuck in some, one of those maybe four areas, that they don't, they're in a place of brokenness. Like they don't know why they're in this place of brokenness or they, they need the favor of the Lord. They don't understand why things are so hard and they feel like they're beating their head against a wall and they need the favor of the Lord. Or you need to know God's redeeming love or you want to know what your destiny is. I want to pray for anybody here or anything else, but that in particular. If that's one of your questions or one of your prayers, I'm going to meet with you out there since we kind of got to hustle out of this room. And um, we can all thank king supers for our food tonight i will dismiss us lord thank you so much god i thank you for i thank you for america that we get to live in a land where we can worship freely and go to king super and buy our food and we have plenty of food lord that we get to congregate freely father pursue you make us people that are hungry for you 
hungry for you, more of you, over and over, Lord, that we'll never stop pursuing you, God. We thank you, Lord, that it's not just about redemption, it's also about destiny. In Jesus' name.